0: Alright, welcome to Core of the Matter, the public affairs show for 90.3 The Core. I'm your host, Yashwanth Manjanaf, and today we're going to be airing the second part of the RUSA event from last week about the uh, rising costs of higher education. And uh, you know, after after that part airs, which is going to be about 40 minutes, we're going to have a little discussion in the studio with a couple of the uh, speakers from the actual event. So, uh, Stay tuned for that. I hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, you know, without further ado, we're going to get back to the uh, the last half of the uh, Ruse event.
1: Okay. But, um, yeah, and uh, to speak more on the the dead service here, the way uh, the university fun- uh, fiscal operations work, uh, I have Christina Town over here, and uh, she's going to step in. and explain stuff that I can't totally
2: understand. Um, I'm really just a footnote to uh, to John's research, so thanks for having me here. Um, Just to clarify, the the 1.3 billion of outstanding bonds now includes an amount that is scheduled to be sold on November 19th, I believe, of uh, this month, which is what? Friday. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so if you want to buy Rutgers bonds, <laughs> buy them on Friday, <laughs> <laughs> and that's close to uh, to six hundred million. Some in taxable, some in non-taxable bonds that are that are going to the auction block. So as John said, if you need some place to invest, uh, <laughs> Here's a, a chart that I did from Moody's Credit Research showing the uh, the total debt burden for university since. 1992. You'll notice there's multiple data points in in certain years, and that's because different debt was issued, you know, either beginning of the year and end of the year. Um, So some years, some fiscal years in the interim are missing too. Um, Those are just the the data points for the time the debt was sold. So you can see, really, um, debt issued from 2007, uh, 2009, 2010 forward uh, is... Increasing the, the debt burden dramatically. Um, I don't have the, the 2010 fiscal year numbers, but the debt burden at 1.2 billion is uh, probably about, I want to say, almost the size of the reserve. Maybe it's a, a point or 80% coverage, a 8, 8, 0.8 ratio. Um, so the amount that's in the bank basically is uh, just a little more than what is owed. And um, the reason that I'm interested in this is because of, of the debt service and what it does a little bit to the, uh, to the operating budget. Right now, I want to say in fiscal 2011, the debt service makes up about 43 4.5% of Rutgers' operating budget. But even more than that, what I'm really interested in with debt service in universities, and I say Rutgers, and this is actually more a nationwide trend particularly in university systems that are deregulated as New Jersey system is very deregulated. Um, So as I say Rutgers, you can expand this to other systems as well. Um, Using borrowing, uh, it, it seems to me that it's one of the drivers of moving to increasing tuition instead of state aid to fund a university. Uh, you can take tuition almost as if it's the power to tax, and you can leverage it in a way that getting money from the state can't do for you. So while money from the state is free money, tuition money is almost better money in certain ways, and the reason it's better money is because if you want to have a good credit rating, you have to make nice with the credit rating agencies, and they have a long methodology, the black box they call it, and you can do a lot of numbers and figure out what the credit rating should be. And Rutgers credit rating is very good. It's uh, you know AA-2 and the VMIG just means they have a lot of cash that they can liquidate quick. Um, but as you can see from credit ratings, You know, things that make the ratings go up are growth in financial resources, um, strengthening of operating margins. Things that always can make the rating go down is weakening in demand and uh, weakening in tuition revenues. So, you know, what I think this does, particularly across the country, is... Uh, in higher ed, and particularly in New Jersey, is it really fundamentally changes the stakeholders in higher ed. Uh, the stakeholders are no longer the state, the taxpayers, are almost in some ways not even the students anymore. Um, the stakeholders are really the people who you have to impress with your balance sheet. Um, and those would basically be the underwriters who are paying attention to the methodologies that the, the credit rating agencies like Moody's and S;P and Fitch are producing um, so you know uh, if Rutgers suffers a downgrade um, in their credit rating they you know they would have to post greater collateral for different debt that they have which means holding capital and reserve that they can't touch they would have to pay greater interest rates uh, since you know the financial system basically the world collapsed in 2007 and 2008. There are really no municipal bond insurers anymore. Uh, it used to be you could insure a municipal bond and guarantee a low interest rate. Um, you can't do that anymore because all those companies went out of business thanks to insuring mortgage-backed securities. Um, so, um, just to finish up and turn this back over to John, it's. Uh, um, really a a fundamental change in the way we think about higher education, both as students and as educators, and it's something we need to be aware of and something we need to look at in the future.
1: And and just to follow up on on what Christine said, it's, it's really like a matter of uh, playing, we're, we're playing with financial capital we're, we're, we're essentially like We're not playing the stock market But we're coming close We have a network of investors And uh, those, those needs and, and those those requirements Are becoming more and more complex And are another way that uh, education Has to be managed as a business um, But I, I, I'm now going to move on To actually a really dangerous uh, trend in, in higher education that concerns me uh, For-profit institutions um, These are not just private Institutions like the Ivys, or like you know, Rider or Princeton, or well, Princeton's Ivy, but you know, um, these are institutions like University of Phoenix. These are literally for-profit institutions, corporations that uh, d- don't and that operate on a for-profit basis. Their main purpose is literally to make money. Um, they are traded on the stock market. Uh, their sole purpose is to minimize costs and maximize profit. So basically, they take all of the you know sort of corporate techniques I, I mentioned have infiltrated the the public institutions um, and take them to the extreme in, in the most open way possible. It's actually like it's basically the the highest level of corporatization in the higher educa- in higher education. Um, so examples from University of Phoenix, we have uh, they rely on 95 percent part time faculty to cut costs. Nationwide average is 47 percent part time faculty. So that's Really crazy. And by the way, University of Phoenix is actually the largest university in the country. They have 420,000 students uh, across the country because they have all these distributed campuses and online courses. So they can actually uh, use online courses to decrease teaching time. Uh, they also use peer-led sessions in place of class time. The uh, Department of Education says that's illegal because, you know, credit hours are based on the actual time, in, instructional time in class and, uh, well, these these are classes without teachers so that shouldn't count. Um, and also they even offer high tuition, uh, most times higher than public and private schools. The um, question is how do they pull it off? I mean. They have a lot of marketing like I see their ads online all the time um, and they especially market to non-traditional students. Basically they convince people who didn't think about a college education that they should have a college education. Um, and they take anyone which sounds like a, a good thing at first um, because you know I'm all for the uh, you know the equal access to education and sort of the democratization of education. But the problem is that they convince, they take anyone and convince them to take out federal loans to pay off. Um, and so basically they convince people to take out these huge risks when in reality, maybe they were better off not doing that. Um, and the government pays the school when, and the students are stuck with the debt. Um, in 2003, the feds, the feds found out and uh, charged the University of Phoenix with uh, illegally obtaining, or fraudulently obtaining hundreds of millions of dollars in financial aid. Um, to review, they, con- they convinced people to take out big loans in order to buy a degree, because it would pay itself off in the future. Uh, drawing back to sort of the debt crisis and the, fi- and the financial crisis of 2007-2008, you replace degree with house, you have the subprime mortgage crisis. Uh, you know, if property values will keep going up and it, it'll pay itself off in the end. Uh, pe- the, the same thing is essentially being said about higher education nowadays, you know. If you get a degree, it'll pay itself off, but Really, that's becoming less and less true, especially with uh, with uh, sort of transitioning the American economy from uh, skilled labor to more service industry. Uh, so it's another big debt bubble, uh, one that sort of the government is controlling by making it inescapable through bankruptcy. Um, and these these loans are also the same ones that Rutgers students take out, meaning the, the more fraud that places like university of phoenix can commit the less financial aid there are there is for students at actually at legitimate institutions which really isn't the, the students at the other institutions fall but like they probably don't want to be set into like huge amounts of debt anyway so really we need to control the problem at its source which is these people who basically are are luring luring people into taking out loans that they don't even necessarily uh know that they know, uh, I guess, what the situation is with. Uh, they don't know the, the, the restrictions, the, the rules about the loans. They don't know how they're gonna pay them off. So these for-profit institutions are, are bad for students and bad for education. And I had it on another, um, another version of the presentation, but I just wanna bring this quote. It's from John Sperling, uh, the uh, founder of the University of Phoenix. And he says that uh, University of Phoenix is a corporation not a social entity. Uh, coming here is not a rite of passage. We're not going for any of uh, of that. Uh, we're not looking to grow students' value systems or go for any of that expand your minds bullshit. Uh, and that's actually what he said. Like that's that's a quote you can find it. But that's that's how he treats education, uh, not as an experience in personal development uh, or something you know a, bro- a broader you know a liberal arts education, but rather just sort of buying a degree. And uh, I personally think that's wrong. So uh, that's uh, that's you know my perspective of how corporate corporate practices have sort of infiltrated higher education and changed it for the worse.
3: So, to bring, like, just so we're pretty close, um, it's also coming a level on on Congress too. Um, recently, the New York Times reported there are beginning the whole congressional processing hearings, um, so, to look into what exactly for-proper colleges are doing um, relative, uh, or like, what are they providing to society, right? So for-proper colleges um, are now really being taking, taken seriously for, I'm sorry, um, we don't really know, right? So Congress ha- has decided that maybe this, the benefit that they're supposedly giving, right, isn't actually there at all, and that you're getting a subpar education and just leaving with tons and tons of debt. I mean, this is a serious problem for, for, for people who who go who go through those programs and, and they're just like trying to get a job, get a degree, you know, to, to get a better job. But now, are these are these for-profit universities doing that? Um, oh, this is like at the one end of the spectrum, kind of worst end of it. Um, but we do want to talk about some of what other countries are doing, other um, with higher education. I mean, John, I'm talking about the really worst in higher education. We're talking about some of the better practices. Um, and and for that, I'd like to bring up uh, Diana over here,
0: and she's going to talk about that. You're listening to week two of the RUSA event. The core of the matter will be right back. And stay tuned for the discussion afterwards.
4: So um, I'm going to talk to you about international tuition and how some other countries, and um, how they're working with higher education and tuition. So these are results taken from the 2003 program for international student assessment test. And what they do is they rank um, college bound, like, well, university bound high school students from all over the world. And as you can see, um, we didn't score very well on any of these tests. Um, the lists only go up to 25, and we didn't even make the math category because we're actually ranked 28, so we're not even on the list. So even though we pride ourselves on having these great schools, when it comes to keeping up with our international counterparts, um, we're not, basically. So this is um, how other countries, are, how much they pay for tuition, and I guess Australia pays a lot, but really um, we pay substantially more than... Um, than others at the bottom. Oh no, I do. I want to okay. go back. <laughs> there we go. Okay, it's cut off here. But Rutgers, the our tuition is actually it's nine thousand nine hundred and twenty-six, so it's substantially higher than the average for the USA. And um, the reason that some of these countries pay um, pay so much less than than we do is because um, I guess how they allocate their money. For instance, Finland spends more than twice the amount on education that they do on defense. And if anyone's interested in studying abroad, their free tuition at most schools applies to international students as well. So just just something to keep in mind. (laughs) And you look at um, some other countries on the board, a lot of them spend substantially more money on education than they do on war and their military. And then you can compare that to the US and what we spend. So this big red thing right here, this is how much we spend on defense. It's actually $663.7 billion. And then see that little orange line up there? That's education. And that's actually $46.7 billion. So really, we could double our education budget and really not even make it dent in our the total amount that we're allocating for defense. So I guess it's just different values of um, our country. And I just want to say that maybe if we just spent a little more time working on educations in our minds versus our military and war, then maybe we would score a little bit better in those international tests. <laughs>
3: There's just been a tremendous amount of information kind of thrown at um, everyone in, in this room, and this really uh, talks about how complex um, the higher education system in the United States is, and how not only complex it is, but how it's changing, right? As we've been talking about all, all night, over, over the past 10 years, we've seen a, a rapid change in how people pay for higher education. And from general, we've had people from, from Finland, from, from different countries, and how they, they do pay less Um, One thing that I definitely want to make clear to everyone um, is that the United States used to be like all those other other countries. Um, back in the day, That there, there, there were big universities in, in New York City, in, in, in California, um, where you can go for, for free. They actually, the states, are, it was so important to be educated that they wanted to ensure that every person who wanted to get a higher education had the opportunity to, to do so. Um, so the kind of interesting thing for us to really take away from tonight is how things are changing because at one point there were tons of universities, tons of top-rate colleges that you can go to and they were very, very accessible um, and you could really improve your life. But now that's starting to change, and over the past 10 years, that change has greatly accelerated. And to kind of bring it all, all, all together, you know, the state has given less money to higher education. And when with the state, also the national government has given less money to higher ed- education over um, not only like the past 10 years, but it's been a constant trend you can talk about over the past 30 years. Um, and universities are asked to provide more with less. Every year, um, we we hear about how those budget's are being cut and what sacrifices that we, not only as an institution, but as a group of people, have to make year after year after year after year, um, I don't know what happens, um, but every year, we're, we're told, well, you gotta do with less. You gotta do with less, um, but one of the biggest problems is that universities are really trying to expand. They're, they're providing much better services, and they're really trying to um, enhance students' lives and also help students through college, it, it, it is very stressful. Um, all, I'm sure all of us here at some point has made use of, of some rucker services. Um, I know I've had, and it greatly helped me to develop as as, as a person, but also you know how me eke out a, a, a better grade in, in one of my classes. Um, so there's a bigger mandate, right? But there's less funding, um, and kind of what's happening is that banks are are providing um, credit and and the money to kind of keep keep this keep this trend going. Um, and it does raise serious questions because, like, on, on on the one hand, right, um, do you want to sacrifice having the opportunity to be educated um, by by not taking a a loan, or, or do you take that risk? Do you invest in yourself, take that extra private loan, so you so you you can go to college and really try and change the world? Uh, and, and, and that's kind of the big picture. and It's really. And and once again I cannot emphasize enough about how this is all changing, that, that we're that we're shifting as a as a country, right? From from a system where public education was extremely valued, um, to a system where public education is still really valued. People still want you to go to college, but the funding that was once there is no longer there. So to me, I really want everyone here to to take away um, that at the local level, on the state level, and on the national level, um, there's been not, not only a different set of priorities, but a different way of, of doing things and the implications of it are, are, are still being seen. Um, what'll be really interesting is now that we have more uh, student loan debt than credit card debt, is it how are gonna deal with that? What if there's mass defaults? Um, do we have another bailout for banks again? Do we have another bailout for, for students? They're all huge questions, right, that over the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, we're gonna be finding out the answers to and we're gonna see if, if we we're really making the best decisions today. Um, and this is super important for every one of us because this is, this is our future, not only for each individual, but for us as, as, a, as a country. America, right still does have, have the best university system in the world. You know, all, most of the top colleges are located here in the U.S. and it's, it's been a great um, drive of economic growth and, and prosperity, but now we still want all those benefits. But are we providing all, of, all of, of that funding? And what decisions are we making, right, together? Um, what decisions are, are, are we making? Um, because if you make the wrong ones, we're, we're, we're going to lose that. We're going to lose this great thing that we, that we once had um, for some, something worse. And this affects all of us. Um, but we don't want to leave you on a kind of sour note today. And there is, I believe, stuff that w- we can do about this, that, that we can reverse all, all of these trends. I'd like to bring up Jack Hugh to come over and talk about that just a little bit.
5: Hello, everybody. My name is Jack. Um, <coughs> So uh, we've heard some, some great and, and terrible information tonight um, in regards to what we're doing and what is going on with our tuition and, and why we're paying so much for it. So you might be either tilting your head and going, what is going on? Or you might be just really depressed and, and think that nothing can be done. Well, um, there can be things uh, that we as students, at least, can actively organize and mobilize ourselves to make a change at this university, in this state, and nationwide? Well, I guess first I'll start with what we can do nationwide. Um, so we've, we've heard, as students, we're, we're pretty much from the age of 19 and 20-something, and, um, and we've heard adults say that go out and vote or call your legislators. Um, and those two things are actual things that we can do as students, uh, but they're not enough. Because most of the times when students do go out and vote or do call legislators, they do it on an individual basis. And although that's good for your duties as a citizen, that's not good enough to affect social change and to make this place a better university and to unite as a whole. So on a federal level, I guess, or a national level, the only thing that we can hope to achieve, not the only thing, but a great thing that we can hope to achieve together is to start up a national movement. Now, if you look at the other great movements that have started up in this country, um, you can see that a lot of them has started at colleges. I don't know whether it's because we have a lot of free time or, or because we have so much energy, um, but it's, it's very possible and we can all try to make this happen. Now, on a state level, um, we also need to organize and mobilize, not just ourselves, and in our student governments um, or student unions, but we have to actively organize other schools, student governments, and student unions, and build a coalition. um, And this statewide student association will allow students to speak with one voice. It'll allow us to... To stand together and become an actual power player in New Jersey, which is very very crucial because the youth the students are one of the most disenfranchised people in the in, in, in the nation. Um, I think they are the most disenfranchised uh, groups of people because we have no lobbying force. We have no AARP not to become the uh, not to pick on the elderly, but we have no, no AARP, We have no AFL-CIO. We have, we have not We have no lobbying force. Um, and it's, it's wonderful that, that Safra passed, but it's not enough. And we need to, at least in New Jersey, stand together and speak with one coherent message so that we do become a power player and we are able to influence policies in Trenton so that our tuition isn't screwed up. Um, here at Rutgers there's a list of things that we can do to make Rutgers a better place policy wise and just socially first we need to just educate ourselves and educate our friends we have to we have to know what's going on with our tuition we have to know what's going on with the budget we have to make sure our friends know about it even if they don't really care because they're paying for it or their mommies and daddies are paying for it Um, and we have to organize ourselves we I, I would ask everyone to, that are students to, to look for student groups, um, run through student government, uh, and get actively organized on your free time to try to make this university a better place. We have to also talk to our parents. Um, in a lot of situations, uh, our parents are either completely paying for our education or partly paying for our education or standing on the sidelines and going, good luck. But either way, we have to talk to our parents so that they they know what's going on with education Because they have not been in the same shoes that we have now Most of them, like uh, it was said earlier, uh, the government paid for their educations when they were younger And when they were students So they don't necessarily know the situation that we are in right now Also, we need to work with the unions in this university Because... There are, although we may not share all the same issues all the time, there comes a point in time where we do have to stand together, and we do have to talk, and we do have to work to try to make this university not just a better place for students, but for everybody. The workers, the whatever. And lastly, please do get involved. (laughs) I would ask the students, please get involved. Don't just go to class. Don't just sleep, get drunk. Although, I'm not saying any of those are bad things. Um, please get involved, get motivated to help us make this a better school. And I think there's those water bottles, which are, which are free, by the way, and you can take after the event. There's also a sign-up sheet where you can give your contact information, and we'll keep you updated. Whether we you wanna work on, and, and might wanna speak on a panel like this in the future, next semester, whether you wanna actively work to help us make a statewide student association, which we are doing right now within the student government and elsewhere, whether you want to uh, start lobbying and building up a alumni network so that they know what's going on with their uh, once beloved school, or you want to talk to unions or you want to help organize something, if you want to get involved, or if you want to just have a video recording of this tonight, um, then just sign up, and we'll try to get you plugged in as soon as possible. Thank you very much.
0: You're listening to week two of the RUSA budget event from November about the rising costs of higher education. Core of the Matter will be right back. Welcome back to Core of the Matter, everybody. You're listening to week two of the BRUSA budget event from November on the rising costs of higher education. So this is the last segment before we have our discussion, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy it.
3: Well, as that said, please, please, please go out there, please sign up, uh, find out more ways that, that, that you can get involved. Um, I know that um, right away that we thank all of our great presenters, please give them a big round um of applause. Everyone, um, does head out one part that we thought was very important to do um, we just kind of spit out a, a whole bunch of facts at, at everyone um, but I think it's very important to, to put a, a face on this problem on this issue because it's not only uh, me personally but all of our friends um, have problems with either paying back their loans or are very concerned maybe you're um, a staffer or, or an administrator and all these things about the university and higher education Really do go and and affect you. Um, I don't know if anyone will be interested, but we have two microphones over here. Um, if anyone would like to come up and talk about um, how the state of higher education affects them, um, maybe we, we, we would want to share a story. I, I highly encourage you to uh, go do so. <laughs> um, any any takers? So uh, uh, I am an alumni of uh,
6: Rutgers College. And I guess from the beginning of coming to Rutgers, I was kind of already uh, screwed. By it. That's the best way I can say it because I, I had to commute to uh, to Rutgers every day, uh, it, which is fine because I lived in Piscataway. Uh, but I I feel that I was in the in the part of what now a lot of students are facing is being too poor to be rich and too rich to be poor, where I didn't get any financial aid. Uh, and that no one really helped me get the financial aid, so I have federal student loans that are not paying back and have to defer um, because I've become recently unemployed. But um, I just want to say that it, for most people at Rutgers, it, you have to be a sort of passionate person to get involved, and it was, it was doubly if not triply harder when you're a commuter, and uh, at Rutgers, commuters aren't... Uh, the, they're not catered to, to a lot of the majority of Rutgers is catered to commuters so uh, that's something that, that needs to be looked at and and uh, I just so so that's right there coming to Rutgers that was already the beginning of, of everyone knows the tradition of the RU screw so uh, yeah so I had to pay more than $23,000 worth of, of uh, student debt uh, with, without having to have a meal plan or uh, room and board here, so yeah, that's gonna be fun. Um, well, just
7: a little background, I need mean to rebecca. Um, and I have recently divorced parents, which makes tuition paying very interesting since my parents paid for it. And then, um, Basically, I found out today that I owe over five thousand dollars to financial aid, and I have no access to classes. So, and um, you know, dealing with just my mother and I, uh, it's become extremely impossible to pay for education. Um, I just found out I might have to study overseas for lower tuition, which is kind of sad that I have to leave my own country <laughs> to get a, a pretty cheap education or reasonable education. So. Um, That's my own financial struggles. And I want to go to law school, but that's not looking too promising. So, uh, you know, I used to, it's kind of sad that you have to change your career and change your goals and change what you want to do because money doesn't allow it. And I think that in a way that that limits um, just the amount of talent that we have, people that are passionate for things usually strive for them a lot more. And when you really want to go to law school, but you can't, um, there's going to be a lot of great lawyers and uh, hopefully the country realizes that soon. I don't know where I'm going, probably some little island or, or something, but uh, I'm in Finland. Finland. <laughs> I'll go to, I'm to Finland. <laughs> so i uh, got to get my passport because um, right now, um, as education is, it doesn't look like I can stay here for much longer, but Thank you. I was brought to the mic by peer pressure, so <laughs> yeah, um, my story is similar to Rebecca's. Um, I'm stuck. Uh, my tuition aid grant was supposed to cover a good four thousand dollars, which means I would only need to pay about five hundred bucks up front, but. They're like, oh, we're only gonna give you about 2,000, no, actually about $1,000, and uh, you're stuck paying the rest. Yay, so, <laughs> and I also got uh, slapped with a $50 late fee, and uh, I'm like, hello, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't pay for this. So I, so yeah. since I have this <laughs> financial hold, I can't sign up for classes, and, I still need to get that taken care of because I just found out about that last week. And I'm kind of doing this on my own because, um, yeah, my parents can't really provide, so this will be interesting. I am super screwed,
8: thank you Hi, my name is Mike. It's like an Alcoholics Anonymous kind of
9: thing. Uh,
8: I'm a pharmacy student, and um, the entire reason I'm in pharmacy is because uh, I knew that um, I was going to have to pay like 80 grand or so by the end because I'm going to have to pay pay everything myself, Um, which, you know, because uh, I'm a first-generation college student. My parents don't make any money, but I don't uh, get any grants at the same time anything like that but um, you know it's kind of an interesting thing that I has always been in the back of my mind as I go to college is the uh, is how like uh, information technology has been able to make uh, available um, you know you can listen to a college class from Harvard University online for free on any, about any subject uh, you can listen to something a business sem- seminar from Oxford for free. And uh, It's kind of interesting. Look on iTunes. It's a college thing, but um, I'm a doorbell. I not listen to the whatever. <laughs> but um, it, at the same time, it's, it costs so much money to actually get the um, credential, which is really weird, you know, because information is uh, or you know, the information that is behind everything that we're supposed to be learning is so cheap, per se, but um, it's kind of interesting because, uh, like I said, I'm in pharmacy pretty much because I need to, I needed a guarantee that I was going to get a, a job that would I would be able to pay my loans off by the end. And uh, you yeah, know, I mean, I'm interested in medicine too, but uh, it's I, I would do something else if if, uh, if it was cheaper to do something else. But uh, that's
1: my story. Thank you. I think the phenomenon you and Steve mentioned—the the too, too, uh, too rich to get aid, but not hurt uh, but uh, not rich enough to pay for college—is actually a very common phenomenon. It's very weird that, like, we pay so much attention to the, like the very, very lowest income brackets that we actually neglect the the middle class that's affected by by rising uh, class. So that's something that like we should we should work on in, in terms of like financial aid. I just wanted to like
9: address that to you. So good luck. Brother, right? mm-hmm. Hey, uh, my is Matt. I'm a Rutgers graduate. Uh, I, I want to first uh, apologize to the, the presenters for having been on the, on the computer through through the entire show. Uh, a, a part of my student loan repayment is that you know, most nights my work comes with me where I go, so that's that's just something I had to do. Um, so the, the, thing, the thing I, I, I was being uh, interviewed as sort of a, a man on the street by was it what, what was your name? And and he he asked me how how he came to. I remember right right now, twenty-two thousand dollars in debt, which is such a like a mind-boggling number. Like I I thought one day I'd be like a grown-up, and that number would sound normal, but it doesn't. It just still sounds like infinity dollars to me. I'm in that much debt to the the federal government, Um, and and what's 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 sort of odd about it is is there there was no there was no moment uh, when someone like put paper and I and I know it was always my responsibility to like be aware of this and
8: and,
9: I could and should have uh, been like more cognizant but I but I wasn't I was like eighteen. there's no point in time when someone puts like a piece of paper in front of you and goes, uh, "All right, well, sign this and you're going to be, uh, you're going to be twenty-two thousand dollars in debt, right?" Um, and it happens in, like increments. So, so there's a moment like right before I left for college where they put a thing in front of me that says like, "It's like two thousand five hundred. Like, sign this or don't go to college." All the time. And I already bought like a Rutgers sweater, so I can like, sign. This. <laughs> Sign this thing, and and how, how how many times will you will you sign? Uh, how many times will, will the statement sign this paper, or you don't go back to college uh, work? And the answer is eight, there's eight semesters. <laughs> and and
10: at, the, at the end at the end of
9: that, you're you're, you're very dead. Um, so and so, uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough to find a job after school. Now, in the process of, of, of starting a small business. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm one, uh, one of the lucky ones, uh, but but, uh, but a lot a lot of people aren't. Uh, and and the, the thing I always say is it's, it's the GI Bill in reverse. It's like just this whole generation of, in the time when you're supposed to be like creative and innovative and living thrifty and, do, and doing interesting stuff, and you're, you're just like scrapped. It's it's just complete like wage slavery. I think debt slavery is the term, if remember, a term I've heard John use a number of times. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't know, uh, I don't know what we do about that. Uh, uh, but but I think there's something to be said for, for saying this is a problem. We need to like look for for a solution. Uh, so so uh, you yeah, know, I'll, I'll look forward to working with you guys on, on finding that. So, yeah.
11: Hi everyone, my name is uh, Dan Herbert, and uh, I know a lot of people behind this table uh, right now, and each of them can tell you that I am a lot of things. But I consider myself first and foremost an author. And I thought that that would mean graduating from college with all of these ideas fresh in my head, sitting down in my parents' basement, living off of you know, their love and kindness and you know, and writing a book, and then selling that book, and maybe affording a crappy little apartment with some ramen noodles that I could keep myself fed with while I wrote my next book, and then continue that cycle until eventually I had something that looked like a nice happy middle class. Now, I'm going to be graduating with plenty of student loan debt. And what that means to me is, I consider myself an author. The rest of the world will see me as Dan Herbert, a sandwich jockey behind the, the deli counter at your local Wawa. Um, and so when I graduate from Rutgers University, um, I'm not sure if I will get to write. I will be going to work at Wawa to make sandwiches to pay off student debt because my parents are at the age where they're considering retirement. Uh, my sister is still financially dependent on them. And she's 27. Um, so I don't have, my family doesn't have resources to just throw money at my student debt until it goes away. Um, so after four years of college, I consider myself an author. After four years of working off my student debt Lala, I'm not sure who I'll be then. I'm not sure what I would be doing afterwards. I'm not sure if I would still want to write. I'm not sure what I would still want to be doing. I'm not sure if I would want to do anything but just think of a faster way to make sandwiches. So that's what student debt means to me. It means not knowing who I'll be by the time it's gone.
10: Hi, Um I'm Dan, and I feel like uh, I'm a pretty standard case study in uh, uh, you know, slave to debt. I graduated um, from a private liberal arts college, uh, was you know, enticed um, by their <coughs> liberal arts education, and graduated with about over $35,000 worth of uh, debt to the federal government. And I started as a graduate student uh, this past year at Rutgers University. Um, but this year, I'm no longer a graduate student uh, due to not receiving any financial aid from the institution. And um, like many people, I'm finding myself not working my degree field, but rather in retail. Um, but that's not really the point I want to make. I just wanted to just uh, what Jack said is absolutely right. It's great to you know we need to do something about this, and it's great to talk to our legislators and, you know, the people in government and, you know, raise our voice. But it isn't enough. Uh, You know, we need to talk to our friends. We need to really create a movement. We need to talk to our neighbors. We need to talk to whoever we can grab and hear. This... People really don't yet understand, you know, really how bad this is and, you know, where this is taking us. So, uh, you know, everybody tonight just... If everybody told five people, ten people. I mean, we really need to pass this information on and really create a solid movement if we want to see any change and move on from this. Thanks.
12: I'm Don Siegel. I I teach um, off the tenure track here. Uh, I recognize some of my students from past years. Um, And I want to talk a little bit about where your money isn't going. And and that's... uh, Roughly one quarter of the faculty here is off the tenure track and, and something like 50% of the new hires. Uh, I've been teaching full-time here since 1997. Anyone want to guess how much I make a year? It's, public. Oh, no, I actually do better because it's in chemistry, so I make 47 without summer school. There are people here who make uh, $34,000 a year for full-time work. Uh, there's, a, there's a professor in a department that I talked to recently He's embarrassed to tell his wife how much he makes because it's so low um, and it's uh, this is this is part of a national trend that more and more people are, are teaching off the tenure track. I get hired and fired every year uh, they'll they'll say you're hired for another year but uh, you need to apply that um, your position terminated in the, the year now this has been going on since 1997 so I know that it's that it's not real um, they'll offer I've been told they'll offer multi year contracts if Trenton will, will uh, budget for multi years, but they won't. So, this is a continuing trend. Uh, one of the problems with forming a movement like this is there's a public perception that all of that tuition money is going into fat cat pockets like me. Well, there are very well paid professors, and most of them are well paid because they're bringing in huge grant money. And doing very productive work. There are people who maybe make too much. I'm not going to say that they really are. But most of the faculty here work very long hours, and that's not where the rise in costs have been. And we need to fight that perception as well. Uh, Believe me, I'm on the student's side on this. Tuition is, uh, education is a right, and it really should be much less expensive. And there should be a way for us to make a living wage while we give you
0: the kind of education you deserve you're listening to core of the matter the public affairs show for 90.3 of the core that was part two of the rusa budget event after we come back from the break we're gonna have jack Yoon from the actual event here to talk to us so stay tuned for that Welcome back to Core of the Matter, everybody. So uh, we're going to have our discussion now with Jack Yoon, who was in RUSA and actually spoke at the uh, RUSA budget event from November that you were just listening to about the rising costs of higher education. All right, Jack, why don't you uh, introduce yourself for our audience here?
5: Hi. Hi. My name is Jack. Uh, My my real name is Donggu, but you know, for the convenience' sakes of everyone listening in and everyone that knows me, uh, people call me Jack. Um, So currently um, on Rusa, I serve as the chair of the Legislative Affairs Committee, Um, and I'm and also um, I'm also an organizer within the Rutgers Union, which was the uh, group that, um, frankly, like did. Most of the the grunt work for for this budget teaching event, um, and yeah, and I was one of the one of the speakers um, for for the budget teaching because it was. I mean, I knew in the beginning of the semester, uh, last semester, that I I didn't have any idea uh, on what was going on with the Rutgers budget, what was the general trend of higher education, except that I had a notion that it was bad.
0: <laughs> so. so what uh, what were your what was RUSA and the Rutgers Student Union hoping to achieve by having this event?
5: So we had a, a few few goals. Um, first and foremost is obviously to educate um, people um, that, like, so that they know what is going on within the university and how that relates to the general trend nationally and the state. Uh, for example, I know I know you you played this before, but uh, one of the biggest um, statistics that always sticks in my head is the fact that in 1990. Um, the students paid for 35% of the tuition and the rest was covered. Um, and in 2011, that statistic has exactly reversed and we pay 65% and 35% is covered, um, which puts a tremendous burden on the individual students. So
0: what, what do you think is the primary reason behind why that trend is taking place? And, and how can we as students really you know, fight back against this?
5: So in New Jersey, at least, um, the, the reason that the, the trend has been going downhill for higher education is that you see um, the administration of both Democratic and Republican governors and, and legislators. And they've always um, cut higher education spending um, and aid, whether it was in the times of economic um, uh, down or economic boom. Um, and that has been true for the past, um, I think, several decades now. Um, and so th- uh, nowadays, uh, most of the topic is, is geared towards a recession, saying that we can't afford higher education. Um, and we, and I'm, I'm saying, um, putting myself in the, in the shoes of the legislators, can't afford to pay uh, for higher education aid because of the recession. But we know that although that might, may be true, um, even in good economic times, they've always cut higher education spending. Um, the things that students can do, the biggest things that students can do is the fact that um, if you look at every or most of the, the national movements that have occurred in the in the United States, um, we, we see that it, they've always started in colleges. So we right. need to build a student movement here at Rutgers um, so that students care, they're agitated, but take that agitation, take that frustration and use it as a fuel for for action um and uh how do we
0: go about doing that i mean (laughs) it it seems like you know people uh people already care more about the jersey shore and and checking facebook another time than uh you know getting involved in in student activism
5: well here's the thing um yeah (laughs) it's it's hard it's really hard because they do do um care about i mean everyone at the bottom line is that your tuition is going to go up your tuition is going to go up a lot more than it should be, even next semester, as soon as next semester. Um, and, a- and your financial aid is not going to be able to cover it. Um, that's the bottom line. Like it, You're not going to be, some, uh, you as in like people who are, are struggling already, you, you're going to have a really hard time paying for school. Um, and there are several actions that are that are being done right now by kids within RUSA and, and within Rutgers Student Union and elsewhere. Um, the biggest uh, project that we're working on is to build a statewide student association, which is a, a coalition of various student governments and, and student organizations across the state of New Jersey. Uh, there are 13 public universities, um, and by 13, I'm, I'm counting Rutgers Camden and Rutgers Newark as separate because... Um, By uh, their student government, it's functionally different. Okay. Um, There are thirteen student government uh, student uh, uh, public schools, public four year schools. Yeah, yeah. And so we're we're getting them together. In fact, this Saturday we're having a summit on February fifth at Rutgers New Brunswick in the Rutgers Student Center. Okay. Um, This Saturday,
0: Rutgers New Brunswick.
5: Yeah. That that, uh, I hope uh, you know some of our listeners check that out. I mean, um, I don't know if it's going to be like a a completely open thing. but we're going like, to, uh, so far, 12 out of 13 schools have um, confirmed that they're going to send representatives. Um, the 13th is Thomas Edison. Uh, they, it's a little tricky because Thomas Edison has no student government or student organization, so it's really <laughs> hard to try to uh, reach out to them. Right. However, um, you know, we, we're, we're, we're trying. Um, but we're going to have a summit. We're going to stay in a room and figure out what we want to do, um, a legislative plan, a vision of what we are. Um, and and go from there. Uh, besides that, um, some folks have been talking about having sort of a, a, a budget campaign, um, a Save Our Higher Education campaign this semester, right. um, a more of a Rutgers thing. Uh, we want to have like a, a walk in or a walk out, whatever you, you want to call it, um, like a, a mass amount of students just get leaving their dorm rooms, leaving dining halls um, and leaving classes. Um, for some people, and just meeting in front of Voorhees uh, Lawn or somewhere that is, you know, um, populable and and holding like a rally or or some sort of a and and event for higher education,
0: right? Or is uh, you know Russo the Rutgers Student Union planning on uh, you know doing another budget event like the one you had last semester? Because I think it would really be you know informative and something that you know maybe we can get more people to check it out this time. Uh, and really learn what's going on because some of the information that you guys presented in, uh, in your last
5: event really blew me away as I was, you know, listening to this stuff. Yeah. I mean, well, first, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we want to have this event, um, again, we want to have the budget. That's, that's the reason why we made this in the first place. Um, this was the first time that we had it. So, you know, we worked out the kinks now, um, we can trim it down so it's more, uh, appealing, more entertaining, as well as being really, really informative, Um, and agitating too uh and yeah we do want to do this again we want to do this again many times this semester um either here at Rutgers or even um abroad like going to montclair or going to other schools and um and doing it for them for their student body as well as um as well as like uh, 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 uh like uh administration and faculty all right well this is the last
0: question i wanted to ask you but uh are you Did you catch President Obama's State of the Union address and uh, you know his his new uh, I guess rhetoric going forward is that we need to win the future and as the federal government, we need to make a distinction between uh, the uh, the spending and investments that the government makes uh, on you know innovation, education, research, versus spending that might be wasteful. Uh, how do you see that uh, are you encouraged by what uh, President Obama seems the direction he seems to be moving in?
5: I am encouraged. However, um, the reality is that most of higher education funding comes from the state. Okay. Meaning the um, the people who. But
0: at the same time, you know, like with the stimulus package, uh, a third of it. You know, sorry to cut you off there. Was you know, the federal government giving state aid and helping the state governments out with their budgets. You know, if something like that were to happen again, maybe the states would have more money to spend on uh, higher education.
5: Yeah, I mean that would be wonderful. Um I mean the the only um uh the only thing that we have to with to remember is that uh most of federal aid is uh like it's is conditioned is is attached by uh, some sort of a string um whether it goes towards uh uh usually like research grants mm-hmm. for the university or things that may the university may not have the discretion to use for scholarships or financial aid or 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 things like that um but i mean more money is more money and and that would be less that would mean that um the university has more freedom now more money to spend on academic stuff
0: all right well thank you for uh thank you for joining us thank you for having me and uh you know it was great having you on and definitely definitely uh you know let me know when you have another budget event so I can let our listeners know and, and uh, you know, it was great great, uh, great talking to you thanks a lot alright and uh, that was Core of the Matter for this week on the uh, RUSA budget event <clears throat> stay tuned for Core of the Matter next week uh, where we will be uh, you know, be talking to Gene Bukhari of uh, the National Organization for Women about uh, the Republican efforts to uh, cut off federal funding for abortion by uh, redefining what exactly uh, rape is, so uh, stay tuned for that. Um, and uh, you were listening to "Core of the Matter" here on ninety point three, the core.
4: We've been listening to The Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core. Opinions expressed on The Core of the Matter are those of the participants only, and not necessarily those of WVPHFM or Rutgers University.